Hey, everybody, you are listening to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast, where we will be tackling real financial issues so women can eliminate fear and take charge of their lives. I am your host, Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. So let's get to it. I had two companies that I was interviewing with, and I had those two companies almost negotiate against one another for my pay and then give me the the highest one gave me a hundred thousand dollar offer letter which I then brought to Netflix and I walk into the office show it to my boss and she took one look at it and said okay it'll be on your next paycheck like nothing so I mean it's amazing that you had to go through all that to get to the correct pay where they could have just given you the correct pay to begin with Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me today for the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. I am very excited about today's podcast because we are expanding our horizons as we try to learn every time we do one of these from our esteemed guests about their situation and what they're trying to, the messages they're trying to bring into the world. And today I have a very accomplished young woman. She is a proud Latina and her name is Linda Garcia. Now, Linda, she spent 17 years working in the TV and film industry. She helped well-recognized TV networks, movie studios, and streaming services build programming for the U.S. Hispanic market. So she has had a very diverse career. She's now pivoted where she's uh, very involved in teaching people about the stock market and helping people to become more proactive in building their net worth. And, you know, I bang on about this all the time, but this is a very laudable thing to do and a very important thing because we are all up against it. We all have to build our net worth. And it's not patently obvious often how to do that in this world because there's a lot of things that we (laughs) have to work against. So with Without further ado, Linda Garcia, welcome to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for having me on your podcast and just amplifying the work that I'm doing. I really appreciate it. Now, I do want to say before we get started that you have recently released a book, correct? Yes. And it is called Wealth Warrior, Eight Steps for Communities of Color to Conquer the Stock Market. Love the title. Can you just tell us briefly where we can get the book and then we'll get into a little bit later about why you wrote the book, but just in case people want to do it right now, they go on Amazon. How do they get it? Yeah, you can go on Amazon. You can go on Audible. You can walk into your Barnes and Noble or you can walk into your local bookshop and you can find Wealth Warrior, Eight Steps for Communities of Color to Conquer the Stock Market. A mouthful. (laughs) It is, but at least we know what the book is about. So that's really important. Okay. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your journey. You know, it sounds like you've had quite a journey both within your career, spiritually, uh, you just had kind of an inflection point where you changed things and you just got a different point of view. And one of the things I love to bring to my audience is these pivot stories where people, they just change it up for whatever reason and they have the courage and the foresight to do that. So tell us your story. Absolutely. Thank you. So I'm going to start a little young just so that there's some context about how I grew up. I am a child of immigrants, 
My mom worked multiple jobs at one time. So did my father. They were just always working extremely hard for money. And that's where my relationship with money was developing. I was learning that you had to work extra hard. And even when you worked extra hard, there was never enough. So there was a lot of scarcity growing up. I was also very troubled as a child. I was in gangs. I became a mother at 14 years old. Yes. Wow, that uh, is really something. I mean, looking at you now, I can't imagine you being in a gang. You, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I, for those of you who are not seeing this, um, because we're looking at each other, you're gorgeous. You look like such a prim and proper lady. So, wow. I mean, what a story. Okay, I'm, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. Yeah. So I went to high school, honestly, miraculously, because I was already a mom by the time I got to high school. And I had high school teachers and just staff, even the school nurse that was really invested in my upbringing. Although there were other teen moms, it wasn't like I was the the only one. I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood. Um, but my teachers just really poured into me. I wasn't living with my parents. I stopped living with my parents at 12 years old. And so I was in trouble. And for whatever reason, the grace of God, universe, they were angels in my life and they poured into me and they told me that one day I was going to become someone. I don't know. It makes me emotional, actually. Just No, I mean, it's so powerful. It's so powerful that you went through this at 12, 14 years old. I mean, I am I am just blown away by this. I didn't realize that. And, and that just shows, obviously, there's some special, you know, you have a special thing, you know, that, that helped guide you, these wonderful people, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What was it like to be a teen mother? I mean, that must have been really stressful, but also wonderful because, you know, you love your kids. So, and how does that frame who you are today? Mm -hmm. Yes. So it was a very challenging experience for me. As I mentioned, I was like in gangs. And then the moment that I got pregnant, I was sort of given this ultimatum of you either have this baby and you can forget about your family or you don't have the baby and we act as if nothing has happened. And even though I really didn't understand at the time what was happening, I knew one thing that I had to have the baby. It was something within me um, that was saying that I couldn't do the other option I was given. Uh, So I decided to move forward. And at that point, I was, you know, really disconnected from my entire family and uh, I decided to, to do this. And it wasn't something I was looking forward to. Like, we didn't have 16 and pregnant back then, like the show on MTV that sort of yeah. changed the narrative. Like, it was nothing like that. And um, I just had teachers that really just spoke life into me. I began writing 30-page marketing plans by the time I was 16. I became senior class vice president. I became president of the drill team. I was captain of the cheerleaders, junior varsity cheerleaders. And I just started to really lean into leadership and My teachers continuously encouraged me. I ended up living with one of my high school teachers for a summer, and she taught me. It felt like a year. She really revolutionized my life. She made me read. The rule was if I was going to live with her, I had to read one book a week. And I had never really read a book for fun at all. Mm -hmm. And I had to be home for dinner 
And being home for dinner didn't mean just sit down and eat. It meant being home an hour before dinner so that I could help decide what we were going to have for dinner and help prep and cook a meal. I'd never sat and like cooked dinner and sat and talked in a family setting ever. So that was really life-changing. I traveled with her a lot as I was competing with my marketing paid my marketing plans across the country. And one of the trips that we took, you're going to get a kick out of this. We went to New York and we were going to take a field trip to either Sally, Jesse, Raphael to see the live <laughs> taping. Right. Wow. Or we were going to go to the stock market uh, to ring the morning bell. And I was not at all interested in the stock market. And I was like, I just want to see Sally, Jesse, Raphael. I want to know what that's like. That was so cool. And I was so upset because I got chosen to go to the stock market. <laughs> Which uh, so that was a that was kind of a sign that you didn't realize at the time. <laughs> yeah, it really, it really uh, just the kind of seeds I suppose that were being planted into my life. I remember looking at the columns, walking up the stairs. Like I remember that entire experience and being overcome by what felt like this energy of power. Like I didn't know what the building did exactly, but I had a very clear understanding that very important things happened in that building. And the other thing I observed was the lack of women in the space. So those were the two things I knew. I didn't I did not know anything other than that. I knew that it was so powerful that it impacted not just our country, but it was a global impact. I could feel that. It was palpable. And then the lack of women. So that was an early experience I had. I went on to go to college. And as I'm moving through college, I really start to identify my level of toxicity when it comes to money. Like my relationship with money was so toxic. And I was constantly in fight or flight. I was in survival. Like I never had enough. So yeah, that's kind of like my early upbringing that really set the stage, I think, for the later half of my of my year, of my life. And um, I started to focus more and more on my relationship with money and spirituality as well, just trying to understand why am I here? What am I supposed to do with all of this pain and yet all of this love and support that I receive from people that know very little about me? I almost felt like there was something important, like a mission that I was supposed to execute. Um, and I really feel like that is exactly what I am embodying right now at this moment. I don't know if I'll stay in this space forever, but I know that for right now, this really feels like this is where I was always meant to be. This could be the tip of the iceberg, right? You could really expand your message to include other type things. Yes. When you say that, you know, like, so you were associated, as many of us have, I did it for many, many years, pain and money kind of together, scarcity. I also had this concept of scarcity for a while in my head. And it makes one think small mm-hmm. and fearful how do you think money infiltrates our psyche and how do you you know define it in our relationship with our our mental health and our spirituality and our psyche yeah i love this question you know i it started to become really clear to me that the money that i had or didn't have 
was starting to become almost a direct reflection of how I was feeling about myself internally. And that was really Mm -hmm. hard for me to, that was a really hard pill to swallow, is to really let go of the idea that like the lack of money is happening to me um, and instead empower myself to say, what do I need to do? What do I need to change so that money can start happening for me? But I do think that it's this really clear reflection of how we're feeling in terms of our own value, our ability to negotiate a salary. I mean, it just shows up everywhere in how we feel when we make a purchase or when we don't make the purchase for what reason. So I started to observe that uh, pretty early on and also observe how like I would get the dopamine hits from like really buying really cheap things, like a bunch of cheap shoes. I'd get that dopamine Mm -hmm. hit and I'd feel really good. And then I was surrounded by a bunch of junk that didn't make me happy or fulfill me in any way. So I just started to observe all of that. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today. I mean, the problem with money is that somehow it is really linked to our self-esteem, especially now with Instagram and TikTok and all these things, you know, FOMO, which I talk a lot about that, is that, you know, we're human, right? And you see other people with what we perceive. It may not be real. It's what people put out there, you know, perception is reality. And then if you can't accomplish that, that your self-esteem is going to take a hit, you know, and then that might make you not feel great about yourself, which might then cause you not to negotiate for yourself, not to expect more, not to push forward just because you feel a bit downtrodden, you know, by the whole situation. And I think that's really a shame because we're just surrounded by so much information and so many people like, you know, putting stuff out there that affects our psyche. But I also think it's really important what you said about buying things and the gratification that we get, the, the instant gratification that we get. And then after we do it, we're kind of like, ugh, I have buyer's remorse. Why did I do this? It's not really what I want. It's not really useful to me. But again, that's using money to try to make ourselves feel better. And that's often a slippery slope that can also, and I talk a lot about people getting into debt, you know, that can lead to a lot of debt because we don't, you know, use real money anymore. We're using credit cards, we're using tap, you know, and Apple pay, whatever it is. And it just seems like we're not really paying for it Mm -hmm. until we see a bill later. Okay. So tell me specifically, you were in the TV business and then what happened? Yeah. So I was working in film and I was working in one studio at Lionsgate making $13 an hour. I was 32 years old, had two roommates, 
couldn't afford the majority of my bills, living paycheck to not even paycheck to paycheck. There was like three days in between where I knew I was going to eat out of a can and I had to mm. ration. Yeah. And all, you know, all because I I felt like I, I felt like I'm doing such a great job at work. I was traveling at the time with Will Ferrell and some of the biggest, you know, artists, and I wasn't getting compensated. Yeah, I was gonna say they weren't making thirteen dollars <laughs> no, an hour. No. <laughs> no, exactly. And so I started to get angry. And I think that anger really turned into, I think anger can be extremely healthy, you know, versus just feeling like a victim. You turn, you get anger and you can use that as fuel to really make change. I started applying for other jobs and I landed a really big job at Netflix. And I knew that this position was going to be absolutely life-changing because I was not going to get, I was moving towards a six-figure job. I started off with a $75,000 offer. And very quickly, when I read the culture deck and understood at Netflix how you can get paid more, within a matter of months, I executed what they said in the culture deck and I got a $25,000 raise. So I had immediately almost given myself a raise. That's very, imp- very impressive. And did you negotiate or they had just these kind of things that you had to hit to get that 25 grand. So there were a couple things that happened. The first is that myself and another woman of color, we started to investigate how much our colleagues were making. And Mm. we learned that they were making six figures and we were the only ones. She was making 80,000. I was making 75. So I was making the least out of the entire group which stood in line with what our statistics show us, right? And so the crazy part was that my workload was getting, it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger because I was taking on all of the Latin American content in Latin America for Netflix, which included a lot of assets, subs, dubs, and all the layers that go to having international content. So that gave me the courage. The deck said that I had to see what my value was worth in the market. And so I went out and I aggressively started applying. And I think it was in my favor, really, that I was already at Netflix. So I had two, right. yeah, I had two companies that I was interviewing with. And I had those two companies almost negotiate against one another for my pay and then give me the the highest one gave me a $100,000 offer letter, which I then brought to Netflix. And I walk into the office, show it to my boss. And she took one look at it and said, okay, it'll be on your next paycheck, like nothing. So, I mean, it's amazing that you had to go through all that to get to the correct pay, where they could have just given you the correct pay to begin with, and that you had to go do that research. But these old habits are so entrenched, right? Mm -hmm. So for everyone listening, besides being an exceedingly strong, resilient, and impressive woman, Linda Garcia is a advocate for herself, and she didn't just like read the deck and not do anything about it. She knew that she was getting screwed, okay, a little bit on her pay there. And I applaud you for doing that. And then, so you stayed at Netflix because they increased your pay. Yeah, and, and they, they increased my pay. Did they apologize or they just no, said? it eh, was just, you know. you know. I mean, I never disclosed I know how much my colleagues are paying. I didn't want to jeopardize anyone else. 
Um, So I never disclosed that to them. I just did what the deck asked me. Here's the offer letter that I got. I want to be matched because this is what I'm worth. And they gave it to me. And so during that process, I really was worried about my past habits with money. Um, I got to this place where I was living paycheck to paycheck. I didn't know how to take care of money. And so I was actually in deep prayer asking God, universe, just please, you know, I don't want to mess this up. I feel like I, I feel like I got this chance. Like I may, I like, I like hit a breaking point or something. Like I have this one chance, like, please, please show me what to do. And this entire time I have one of my colleagues that he is walking over to my cubicle and he's like, Hey, have you started investing in Netflix yet? You know, he was every moment he got, he would not, you know, knock on my little cubicle and have a seat. I would get so intimidated by this conversation. I would get so nervous. I would get so scared. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, have you seen me? I'm a Latina. We don't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) What's talk? What are you talking about? Yes. I knew absolutely nothing. And I think he really started to see that I was intimidated and scared. And so he slowly began educating me after the earnings calls. He would explain what an earnings call is. And he would say he would he then proceeded to show me his portfolio and said, look how much my portfolio increased by just this earnings call because of what's happening. And did you have a 401k at that time? That is how scarce I was in money, that I didn't even get a 401k because I wanted to make sure that I kept every penny I made, which which now is mind-boggling because they were matching 8%. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, that is... A, so let's just stop here for one minute because I think this is a really important point. Retirement savings, you can never start too early. And if you have a 401k plan in your uh, company, and the, especially if they match, if you don't take that match, it's like literally letting free money on the table. And this is all money that you can invest in their platform where they'll give you like a menu of investments you can invest in that you can make it grow without paying any tax on it until you get it distributed to you later in life when you're retired. So you get all this tax-free earnings and growth, which is very powerful. And especially if you get like an 8% match, that's pretty powerful stuff. But I think Linda is not what you were thinking at that point is not uncommon. And I think a lot of people who are starting their jobs and they hear about a 401k, especially younger people, they're like, well, I don't want to really invest in that, right? I want all the money I can get from my paycheck. But it will actually deduct the amount that you're investing from your paycheck before it applies taxes to it. So you're going to save taxes by doing that. So it looks like you're getting less money, but net, you're really not and you're going to earn a lot more money. So I think that point is so important because I think what you were thinking is so common, so incredibly common. So did you ever invest in the 401k platform? Never. It's one of my biggest regrets and something that I that I talk I talk about in my book as well. The tax breaks, like I explain all of that because you're right. We hear 401k and we really don't understand what that means if it's if it has never been explained to us. 
And so I think like a lot of folks, I can speak for my community specifically, and I'm sure that this is like beyond my community, is that like you just said, no one really understands. And if you're not taught these things, then how do you know? How do you know? So, And the HR departments don't really, no. they just say, here's your benefits, right? <laughs> you can get health, here's health insurance, here's the 401k, and you can opt in or not, you know? And no one ever sits down and says to people who may not know what that is, which is, I think, more, more people than not, hey, a 401k is this thing, mm-hmm. and this is why you want to do it. And so I think if you don't have a parent that invested in a 401k, or, you know, somehow you don't, you've you've never been introduced to this, you just think it's something taking money out of your paycheck, right? Yes. Fair enough. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, that is, I never, I never did that. It's such a miss. Such a miss. So, and did you get any benefits from Netflix, like stock options or anything like that? We could buy stock at a discount, but I'm sure, I'm almost positive, like looking back, you know, I'm almost positive that at that time I could have negotiated for stock options and had that been part of my compensation as well. Like if I would have asked for those $25,000 in stock options, for, yeah, yeah. Uh, that would have been. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but see, now, now see, knowledge is power, right? And what you're doing is you've had some missed opportunities due to lack of knowledge and scarcity mindset. And just like you see $100,000 and you're like, you know, Yahoo, I'm making $100,000. And so that's what we, when we have a scarcity mindset and we're not looking at how we have to have multiple streams of money coming in to make money and build our net worth. It's not just about your paycheck. It's about the net worth that you want to build, right? You understand now that you you have a business. You, you know, you're building your net worth through what your new your business, yes. what you're doing now, your stock market investing, mm-hmm. which is helping you create your business, and you're building a balance sheet, you know, and, and you've got income and you've got assets and you've got liabilities. And then hopefully when you subtract the liabilities from the assets, you have more assets than you do liabilities and that's your net worth. But if you don't know what to ask for or you don't know what to do, then it's really hard for you to grow. So Let's just skip to you left Netflix because one day you had, I don't know, you had like a come to Jesus moment. What made you leave Netflix? Because I want everyone to understand the pivot. Yeah. And then we're going to get into what you're recommending or how you get people to become more versed in all of this stuff sure. without like going, you know, their eyes glazing over <laughs> and them just throwing their hands up and saying, I don't want to deal with this. This is like boring and hard. Absolutely. So really quickly though, before I left Netflix, once I saw his portfolio and I saw he had like over a million dollars in his portfolio, wow. I was like, that's all you needed to show me. You should have started there. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> no. You should have started at the end, dude. Yeah, exactly. So I decided that I was going to invest $200 a month consistently in purchasing shares of Netflix. And I did get a discount And I did that for an entire year. And after the entire year, I watched my money almost double. The stock went at the beginning of the year from around $23 to $50. And so uh, once it was the end of the year. And so when I saw that, I was shocked that there was a space 
where I could put money into and I didn't have to do anything other than just be consistent and diligent, understand what was happening in the business. Of course, there's all these other details. But at the end of the day, I didn't do anything physically. I've watched my parents work multiple jobs. I've watched them work so hard to earn $1. And so the thought of money multiplying using other money was mind-blowing. And so at that time, I decided I'm going to double down. And instead of doing $200 a month, I'm going to do $400 a month. And and this is the way to build wealth is automated investing, Mm -hmm. right? Not having to sit there every month and say, oh, should I spend that $400 on a pair of shoes or a dress or dinner? Or should I put it... If it's just coming out of your bank account the minute you get paid and going into your investment account, that takes all the decision making out of it. Um, as long as you have all your debt paid off and you're not, you know, overwhelmed with debt um, that you should be paying down, you know, and you can manage your debt, then you should be automated. I mean, Linda, you did exactly the right thing. And to what you're saying is, you know, active income is where you have to go out and do a job. You have to show up, you've got to do your job and you've got to work hard. And that's, you know, that has, you know, spiritual aspects to it. We all should have a purpose. But passive income is where you're investing and it's doing the work for you. And you're, and that is how you always want to try to build up that passive stream of income coming in to your bottom line, because that's going to be the real boost, you know, sure. that's going to be the juice that gets you way ahead of just working nine to five. So I think you, you know, intuitively with the guidance of this colleague of yours, you were doing everything right. Like you, you may not have read a book about it, but you were instinctively, like you in, instinctively knew to do it. So you, you kind of understand it. You understood it. You may not have book learned it, but you certainly understood it. Yes, absolutely. And it was a very interesting year when I did those 400. There were moments of scarcity where I thought, oh my goodness, this is a car payment. (laughs) You know, I would compare it to everything it could potentially be. Yeah, for sure. And I learned how to really regulate my emotions and practice patience during that year, most especially because... That entire year, as I mentioned, the stock was at 50. And then a year later, the stock was at 50. (laughs) So I made, I didn't see growth that year, but it taught me about discipline. And I had a really important decision to make at the end of the year. Am I going to continue? Am I fearful? Will I pull out? What is, you know, what is going to be my next move? And just understanding the landscape of the industry, understanding the business, being diligent and listening to earnings calls and really getting a different perspective on the business side, I knew that I needed to continue with my efforts. And so I did. I continued with my efforts on investing. And then eight months into that third year, I got laid off. So that was very difficult for me because two weeks after I got laid off, my partner got laid off from his work, from his job. And then two weeks after he got laid off, mind you, Since the start of the year, we had been trying to conceive to have a child. I find out that I am pregnant. So, wow. Yeah. So it was was a lot, (laughs) a lot in six weeks to happen. (laughs) So much, so much. And you couldn't even have a drink. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't even have a drink about it. You were just like having to deal with it with a clear head. Yeah. So true. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. And, uh, You know, it felt nice to have 
a savings account, it felt nice to have this investment where I was like, I thought to myself, I could sell the investment if worse comes to worse. Like it was nice to, it was like a pillow I could lay on a little bit and feel mm-hmm, some safety mm-hmm. there. But then I started to push my mind to think differently and not being scarce and to think, what can I do to to bring in income? Because I had set an intention for this money, which is something I didn't share. And I think it's really important. I had set an intention that one day the stock would be a down payment for a house. So this lady is just full of amazing tips. So you should be taking notes as you listen to her talk because setting an intention for an act, especially saving money, whether it's in an emergency fund, but you know, an investment account is hopefully going to grow. It may not though, but it hopefully it will over time. But setting an intention keeps you on point. Like it's always about the why. Why am I doing anything? Mm-hmm. Why am I incurring debt? Why am I investing? Why am I buying this car? So if you understand your why, that goes a long way. So I love that you set an intention for the money. I think that's so so key for all of our monetary steps that we take. Why are we doing yes. it? Yes. So, okay. So you set the intention for it to become a down payment. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. While you were investing in the stock market, did you also have a savings account with like a cash cushion in it? Yes. Or were you putting all your free cash into the in investments? No, 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 no. I was definitely saving. So I was learning how to be disciplined and how to save. I was hitting new milestones. I actually had a colleague, another colleague there at Netflix where we would challenge each other to see how much we could save. And I found that to be really beneficial to have someone else to kind of hold you accountable and guide guide each other through the process. So, I mean, really working at Netflix was such an incredible experience financially. Like, understanding money from a completely different level, not to mention getting to work at a tech company where I had never seen money flow in a space. Like my mind really began opening to the potential of money being sort of infinite if you work towards it and you create something versus my understanding of money, of watching my parents exchange their money for uh, their time for money and very minimal money. So, you know, we watched Netflix fundraise and just all the money that was flooding in. And so I think by osmosis, I absorbed a lot of what potential is there out there for me? What if I invent something or create something that generates money that can pay me over and over and over again? Right. So right. it really started to it was almost like going to school while I worked there. It was an incredible experience that I I don't take lightly. And I really understand all the lessons I learned through that. And I tried to carry those on with me. Yeah, that abundance mindset. You were exposed to it through the Netflix experience. And I talk about it a lot too. And I don't want it to be just meaningless words in the air. I don't know, like I... I kind of had a similar experience to you after my whole life cratered and people who listen to the podcast know the story. I say it every week, but you know, 53 years old, I'm like living paycheck to paycheck after having had a lot of money and being successful. But you know, the divorce caused this kind of Armageddon in my life. 
And I was really living paycheck to paycheck and hoping that I, you know, I needed to find health insurance. I had three kids. But, you know, the point was at some point I, like you, just threw my hands up and said, okay, universe, God, I'm going to just, whatever opportunity you put in front of me, I'm going to try to work through that and see if I can somehow get out of this big mess I'm in. Mm -hmm. But when I got into wealth management, and it took me a while, but as I became more successful, I realized that there is abundance of not only money, but opportunities. And if I try to keep my eyes open for opportunities, and I think you seem to be very of the same mindset because you created your own opportunity, right? I did. In what you're doing now. Yes. And and the idea for it, I mean, came from the concept of I had been so dependent for Reed Hastings, who's the CEO of Netflix. And I keep going back to Netflix because it was such a pivotal moment in my life to get to well, make was, that much yeah, money. It was huge. Yes. Yeah. And I remember him telling the story about how he invented Netflix and the how the entire how it all unfolded for him. And I remember thinking it was just an idea. And meanwhile, you know, I think for people of color, we have all of these stories inside of us and in our communities of about all the barriers and why we can't achieve something. And I think that that can, a lot of the times it's important for us to be aware, but also I think sometimes it can be a really big disservice to us mentally and that we're only focused on the barriers and we find little space and time in our mind to focus on how can I overcome this barrier or ignore it if possible and see what happens. And so And when I say ignore it, I mean not let it affect you or hurt you or debilitate you. I mean finding strength to create whatever you want to create. So when I realized he had an idea, I thought to myself, I have access to the universe in the same way. And who am I to not one day have an idea where I can just move towards that idea and perhaps the universe will support me in the same way the universe supported him and I can excel at this idea. And so I was in search for my million dollar idea. And during the search of the million dollar idea, no matter what uh, hurdles I had to overcome, whether it was pregnancy, mind you, there was trauma attached to this because you're speaking to someone that had a child at 14 years old. Yeah. And then now I'm 36 years old and I'm the time I'm supposed to be having a child, I'm supposed to ha- be having my life together. Like I'm not supposed to be in the place of panic that resembles how I felt when I was 14 years old. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I really had to push through that and believe that something was going to give, uh, that I was going to come up with something. And that's exactly what started to happen is I started to create an early version of my business. It was a podcast and I started to produce events. And I told myself the intention for my stock is going to remain for this, this house. I will generate income in different ways. I will be brave and courageous to move into areas that I've never moved into before. And I know I will be supported. And I just kept telling myself this over and over and I would generate income. And it was, you know, challenging and we were just getting by, but we were getting by. And honestly, you know, and it was, I think it was more emotionally challenging really because we had everything we could possibly need. 
And we also had a better understanding of money, which you can't mess with that if you have a better understanding of money. No, no. And, 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 that, and I believe that your understanding of money through all the different things that happened at Netflix and so on and so forth led you to understand abundance and also have some faith that you were going to be able to create this too because you're a really intelligent, energetic, you you have a vision and woman and that is you know that's all you need right really and and the belief that you can do it how do you think being you know in the you're a latina you you know there in and i don't want to group all the minorities together and i had another gal on a couple of weeks ago jessica norwood who helps fund black small businesses and that's the community in which she works we were talking about this whole affirmative action situation but also the, the obstacles that minorities are facing, not only through educational opportunities, maybe now not being available, but also, you know, in, their, in the way families are and so on and so forth. What are some of the unique things that you think that in the, you know, in the Latin community that people are dealing with that kind of prevents them from getting to the mindset that you were able to get to? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I've been having this conversation for about three weeks now, and I know it's something I'm ironing out in my head and working towards understanding, but I am working with a group of women, and they're all white, and they're extremely successful, and they make so much money, and I learn so much from them on how to approach my business and some of the blocks that I have. And in talking to like several of my friends, I was ex- I was thinking like, I don't even know to challenge my negative thinking sometimes. Like this notion of, for example, what I was dealing with was sending out to my email list, selling, which makes me very uncomfortable. And I know that's very normal mm-hmm. for, for women to feel that. And a concept that came up from a friend is like, the idea should be like, these people need your help. Like, why wouldn't you sell them your product? Yeah, you're doing them a favor. And this is something I think is so, oh my God, I did a talk in Nashville and I was like, you know, when people, when I'm talking to people about my wealth management services, which I believe we are superior at and we often get rated nationally as being superior at, but I know that we are and how passionate I am. I always, I almost feel sorry for people who don't, who wouldn't want to use our services because I know that I'm going to make it better. I'm going to educate them. I'm going to work with them. I'm going to grow their wealth with them. And that's exactly what you need to be thinking. You have knowledge and you know how to explain it to people who are at ground zero with this stuff, right? So they need to learn from the bottom up and you are going to help them change their lives. And so, yeah, you don't want to work for free. Nobody should. That doesn't make sense. What you're doing is valuable. You should be compensated for it. But that is a mindset that I, I think women suffer from not having because mm-hmm. we feel like we should just accommodate everybody and do everything for free yeah. for some inexplicable reason. And we have no boundaries. And I, I believe probably it's, it's prevalent in aspects of the minority communities as well because they just haven't had opportunities encourage that kind of thing. Yeah, it's not even the questioning of why not. Like the simple question of why feels something that is so foreign in our spaces. Like we're not allowed to ask it. And so I'm I'm really I've been focusing on this 
with several women like in the last three weeks, as I was mentioning on like, we can't, we don't even know that we can ask why, why not? We don't even know that we can question certain thoughts that we have in our mind. Uh, The scarcity runs so thick. It's not even deep. It's thick. It almost feels like you're in quicksand and you can't progress forward. You can't progress upward. So it can be really debilitating. And the only way to get that mentality to go away is to have more and more people like yourself mentoring others to lose that mindset and giving them the tools to accomplish that. So how are you helping people to overcome this mindset so that they actually believe that they can, you know, create other streams of wealth for themselves and they deserve it? Also, maybe change their careers or add a side hustle that will make their million dollar idea come to fruition. I know that you have a kind of a community of people. Is that the Loose Warrior? It's in in Loose We Trust. In Loose We Trust. I love that. Loose being light? Yes. Am I right? Yes. So it's like, yes. Okay. It's like our our inner light. So it's almost like trusting your intuition to guide you, your inner, you know, you have access to God, source, universe within, and it's trusting that. Okay. So I'm going to join in Loose We Trust. I'm going to become a warrior. And you're going to tell me how to, you know, get get my groove on here and what am I going to do? So give me some steps so I know what to do. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is we have to identify what your relationship with money is and what your core beliefs are about money. So a lot of sentiment about how you feel towards money, when you look at money, when you're holding money, when you're touching money, what are some of the things that you feel? A lot of women in our group feel very unsupported by money. They feel betrayed by money. They feel angry at money. Some feel disgusted by money. And so we work to identify. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's it, yeah. And so we work to identify what you feel, how you feel towards money. And then we try to work on understanding, on neutralizing the experience with money. So we also talk about really big beliefs that society has, like wealthy people are greedy or, you know, what biblical terms, the root of all evil is money or money is the root of all yeah, evil. Is, and that is and it's even not correct. correct saying it's not people, correct. Yeah. yeah, it's not correct. <laughs> yes. And it's true. People equate like, not evilness, but like, you know, people who have money may be greedy or they may not be charitable or, you know, you shouldn't be greedy. You know, that's a bad thing. And and wanting to better yourself, wanting to have security for yourself and your family, in my mind, is not a greedy thing. I mean, no. I know what it's like not to have money and I know what it's like to have money mm-hmm. and to be able to buy a house, which you know, I couldn't even believe when I did it. I was just standing here in awe that I finally figured out how to do it. This is a good thing. This is providing security for yourself and for your family and then helping you to help others down the way because now you have the security to maybe spend some time spreading the word to those who need to learn the message. That is so interesting. So, and these are all women, right, in your group? You know, we mostly have all women. There are a few men that join that they really don't have a space to go to because of the a platform that we use. I cannot say only certain people can join. You know, I I can't legally, I cannot do that. We do have decoy, like we do use the color pink (laughs) 
to like, you know, <laughs> discourage <laughs> men from joining, but <laughs> discourage male participation. Yes. yes. But we we have That's men terrible. and, you know, we asked them like the first time we jo- a man joined, the women freaked out. They're like, it was like there was a man in our locker room, you know, and we asked them like we set really important rules on the table. You will be kicked out immediately if you do not respect you know, the feminine divine. I mean, we just like worded it in this way where we were, yeah, people you know, speaking and no, you're not going to mansplain. No, right. No mansplaining. <laughs> so we have all of these rules, but um, yes. Yeah, so, you know, and they respect them and they, they know to be quiet when we're speaking and they'll only ask questions at the very end. And it's, it's very interesting, but I would say about 5%. The majority are mainly Latinas. We do have white women. We do have black women in the group and we have Afro Latinas, but the majority is uh, Latinas in the group. And so we do a lot of work digging on our money wounds and really understanding that relationship because I really feel that it doesn't matter how much financial literacy you take in. If you don't identify your relationship with money and how toxic it can be, then you're not going to be able to build wealth. I feel like it is almost impossible. If you really believe that wealthy people are greedy, then your subconscious will do everything to repel becoming greedy, uh, becoming wealthy because you don't want to yeah, be greedy. It will undermine you. Yes. And so we really yeah, try to... Uh, yep, yep. And so much of this is behavioral, right? So you're starting from a behavioral perspective because that is what gets us all to act, whatever that might be. And yes. I think that is, you know, truly, I've talked about this before, your behavioral, you know, psyche towards money is like the core of mm-hmm. how you're going to be with money in all realms, whether it's, you know, saving, investing, paying your bills on time, whatever it is. Yeah. So I think it's really good that you start with that because that, that lays the table and then you help people kind of understand where they're at and then you are helping them improve or change their attitudes so that they can move on. Yes, exactly. And is that through conversation or you're giving them like behavioral tips? How are you helping them yeah, that way? So we have a course, a 10-hour course where we go through uh, what we call money wounds. So the first big part of the course is uh, where we take on our relationship with money. And then money is woven, the the relationship with money is woven throughout the entire process. Like we see money wounds reemerge when you, you talked about FOMO earlier, when you talk, when you feel FOMO in the market, when you feel fear in the market, when you feel euphoria in the market, that your investments are going great and you feel unstoppable and you can make all these decisions. And that's not, that's not the case, you know? So we all, I also talk about managing our emotions. I use the stock market in a way where I explain like the the chart, a stock chart on any chart or the S&P 500. This is literally just an emotional pulse on the globe <laughs> and how they feel about money. Yeah. It's a pulse it's true. and it reflects how we're feeling. And so I like to use it in that way for it to reflect to us how we're feeling. So I educate a little bit on what a chart looks like and what it means when it's going up and what it means when it's going down or make them just aware of that tied to our emotions. And then we get into creating a budget that is very simple for the stock market, not not tied to a percentage of how much income you're bringing in, but emotionally 
tied to you. So if you all you can let go of is $20 a month, then that is the budget that is automated and put into the stock market. And we just purchase a fractional share with that. And we use it as an experience to teach us how we feel. When those $20 are going up, we notice how we feel. When those $20 are going down, because they will go down, we notice how we feel. Mm-hmm. And so really, I explain the lay of the land of the stock market and the terminology. I do not teach anyone what to invest in. It's a very personal decision and I'm not a licensed professional. But what I like to advocate for is seeing how you feel emotionally as you're investing into the market. So when people see their money going down, one of the things that we uh, deal with a lot in my business is, you know, when the stock market goes down, say say March 2020, Mm -hmm. you know, right when COVID hit, there was a big crash. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are like, I want to bail now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, that is the stupidest thing you could possibly do. If you are in solid investments and you've looked at the balance sheets of the companies that you're invested in, you know why you're invested in them. You don't dump when the price is low because when it goes back up, it's going to cost you twice as much to get back in. And so it's all very emotional and behavioral, right? Some people are just not going to be able to go through that. So I think what you're doing is brilliant. I love the idea of someone who can only deal with $20 doing those fractional shares and feeling that like, oh my God, it's all going to hell in a handbag. I want to sell it right now. How do you counsel them not to make that move? Sure. So I almost always will take them through charts. Like I'll take them through the 2008 chart and I'll show them how the market has always recovered. I try to use patterns from the past so that they can see that they're okay, Mm -hmm. everything is safe. And really just when I explain what bull market and a bear market is, I also am really diligent on explaining that millionaires are made during bear markets, you know, like the potential that can happen. Instead of worrying about taking out your money, you really need to worry, be more focused on how much money you're going to be about putting adding in. to the things <laughs> yes. that are worthy. Yeah. Yes. That's where you're going to make money when it goes up exponentially. Correct. Yes, absolutely. So I do try to educate on them on that really early on. And I feel like it's been very beneficial, especially as I've been watching the community move through the process, as I watch them move through the 2020 market crash when we hit the low on the 23rd, I expected to do a lot more emotional work going into that crash. I was not expecting for April 8th to ha- for us to start recovering. That was wild to me. That took me by surprise. There was a lot of learning for all of us through those euphoric days of just watching our money multiply in, you know, in ways like that. So it's also calmed down do not buy AMC. <laughs> you know? I mean, like, yeah, don't buy meme stocks. <laughs> exactly. Educating them on meme stocks. I did an entire workshop on what meme stocks are and what um, what it means for people to make money when the stock market is going down. And like, I just tried to educate them on the entire AMC saga. And so really, it's just a lot of educating, but always being uh, mindful of the emotions that we're feeling as we're navigating the market. So I like to just use it as a tool. One thing I say is, I'm not your teacher. The market is your teacher. 
The market and time in the market is what's going to teach you how to behave. You you need to be disciplined. You need to be patient and you need to understand your emotions and the market will teach you. And if you don't want to be disciplined and patient, the market will teach you. But I just don't want them. Right. And like getting rich quick. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I know you're not telling people how to pick particular stocks. I mean, they they would have to they have to do their research and figure that out. But do you give them a guidepost as to when it might be a good time to exit a position or do do you expect them to figure that out on their own? Not just behavioral, but like say, okay, the price of this stock is a little bit frothy, as they say, a little high. The price to earnings multiple is very high and, you know, like this might be a time to sell. Like, do you equip them with a little bit of that knowledge? Like, so they know, or do they just buy and hold? If they believe in it. If they believe in it, you know, the the opportunity for buying and holding is always there. Um, I lean back into setting an intention for your money. That would be a reason to exit. If, let's say, for example, for me, um, I got to pull out $120,000. By the way, those $9,000 I invested turned into half a million. So I got to... Yeah, exactly. So I got to pull out um, $120,000 and add that towards the down payment of my home. So for me, that was like, this is a time to sell, not necessarily because of what the market is doing, but because my intention came... Because you you had your intention for the money and that was exactly what you had the money for. Mm -hmm. And And that's what... Don't be afraid to use it for the intention. And I was, and I struggled with that. And I shared that with my community. I was like, I am struggling so much with this because the market is frothy and I want it to keep getting frothier, but I have to pull out. Like this is the perfect time. Now, did you diversify out of some of that Netflix or did you keep? I diversified. Well done. Yes. I'm glad that, you know, otherwise you're at the mercy of the Netflix movement of price. Right. Well done. I mean, look, there are so many things that we could talk about, but we are coming upon an hour. And I just have to say, I think that the what you are educating people on is so important because everyone can go online and research companies and stocks and movement and prices. We can do that. But if we don't have the mindset to do that and we don't overcome our hurdles of fear or feeling like we're not good enough to do it, or just, you know, feeling we should just be hoarding our money and not ever thinking about making passive income. All of those things are the things that will never, if you do that, you will never ever grow your net income and you will never live that life that you really want. Or you can, you know, you see on FOMO on Instagram, because through doing what Linda's suggesting is you're going to open your mind you're going to open and you're going to grow as a person and as an economic actor. Mm-hmm. I cannot applaud you enough for this. I think your story is so interesting. You you obviously have a light, you know, God is watching over you, I think, because you're going to do some brilliant things to help the world. I, that's all I can figure here is, you know, I'm glad that you bought your house <laughs> and it sounds like you've got two children and you're flourishing. What is your next million dollar idea? Well, I do have an idea for an application, an app that um, I think will help regulate emotions through the market. 
Um, but right now I'm just basking in the experience of being a published author in the fact that anyone can go to the library and check out the book as a free resource. That's so amazing. Well done, you. I mean, I'm getting a mo. I mean, it's amazing, right? Like you wrote a book. I mean, I, I wrote a book and I, some days I can't even believe I wrote a book. But you wrote a book against all odds. I mean, you had a child at 14 and you you navigated some very, very difficult waters. And oh my gosh, I am just, I am so moved by your story. But more importantly, like, I feel like your mom. I'm like so proud of what you've done. I mean, it's like unbelievable. Thank you're, you. You're just a, a beacon of light for so many people. I, I hope that you just continue to flourish and build this program. It's a really important program. And when you get this app, whatever it is, or if you ever want to talk to me again, we're going to do another podcast and we can get into like a really deep dive about some of the other stuff you, you were talking about. But you're helping so many people. Those 450 women are going to change their lives because of you. That's 450 people. That's a lot of people. And then they're going to spread the word and so on and so forth. So I don't know about you guys, but Linda Garcia is just something else. I am this story. I didn't know all of this at the beginning and, and, and the passion of what you've done, you know, what you're doing is, is palpable. I cannot thank you enough. So let me, let, let's be really clear. How do people find you? How do people become part of your group and get to like learn from you? Because you are an enlightened lady with a lot of really important information to share. So let everyone know how the heck we find you. Thank you so much. I am on Instagram at Luz Warrior. That's L-U-Z Warrior. That's my personal Instagram where I share a lot of investing uh, thoughts that I have. And then I have In Luz We Trust on Instagram as well. And I share stock market news every single morning. And I also have a website, uh, inlosewetrust.com, where you can find an upcoming course that I have in August that's going to be a live crash course that I'll be teaching. I also have the book. And then I'm on Patreon at In Lose We Trust with our community. Well, I would recommend everyone take this live course because I think you're going to learn a lot. And I'm just going to say, I think it could change your life. I mean, this lady's doing life-changing things here and she's getting right at the base of why we all behave the way we do. So none of this like, hey, this is a sharp ratio and this is when you enter and this is when you sell and when you buy. You need to know that eventually, but in the meantime, you need to know the basics and you need to understand the whys. And Linda Garcia, what you are doing is very important. You are an amazing woman. You are truly an amazing woman. And I, you know, my heart is full that I had the opportunity to interview you and have you talk to my community of people because it's rare that I meet someone that has moved me so much as your story today, because I got to tell you, and I'm getting emotional myself, what, you know, you overcame. That's a lot for any woman. So thank you for sharing and being honest and open and vulnerable and my goodness gracious. Thank you, Kimberly. I'm just moved. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> and before we all, before I bust out crying, I'm going to say thank you guys for joining us today. Check us out next time and follow Linda Garcia. Join her courses. You are going to learn a lot. She has got a lot to share, people. So get with it and listen to her. All right. Thank you guys. 
Thank you for listening today to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And I would really appreciate if you could also rate and review it. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at The Fiscal Feminist or check out the website FiscalFeminist.com. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.